0: (laughs) so actually there was somebody that commented on the first um episode did you see this recently saying it'd be good if you guys introduce yourself ah you see that yeah do you want to do like a a quick little intro i'll go first i'm danny 23 and i am a (laughs) (laughs) co-founder yeah i just like making stuff and i've done that since i was a kid yeah yeah that's me
1: yeah, I'm, I'm Hugh. I'm, I'm 24 and I write code. That's nice. it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I write code. Currently, I'm writing code at Carter. I'm yeah. a co-founder. Making AI talk and yeah. have conversations and friendships and relationships and companionships with humans in games.
0: Beautiful. Which yeah. is awesome. Dream That's a through. really nice sum up. I think it's quite good because this is like episode two. People don't quite know us yet. And so there's a fine line between, okay, we should probably introduce ourselves versus... We should probably just jump in because nobody really cares. Yeah, there's a balance. (laughs) Yeah, there's a balance. Okay, so without further ado, I have some topics, secret topics that you've probably already heard. Yeah. Uh, Okay, number one is how could AI change different jobs? So all over Twitter, my Twitter, I I know it's all over your Twitter as well. People are like, some people are like massively for this technology. Oh my God, I can't wait for this to happen and, and that to happen and this model to come out and this to get better. Um, but the flip side, there are a bunch of people that are really quite scared of, as to what's going to happen to their jobs, yeah. what's going to happen to their like daily life, their work, um, and if they're going to stay at the company and still be useful and provide value at the company that mm-hmm. they're currently working in. So um, the the four different kind of jobs that uh, I have listed out that we can talk about are number one, artists. So like that could be game artists or even just like illustrators and people that create like um, beautiful visuals for like marketing purposes and that type of thing. So artists, voice actors, uh, programmers, Mm. and um, like weirdly investors and equity researchers uh, because of this new Bloomberg GPT model that is supposedly coming out. So uh, why don't we kick off with the first one, artists. What are your thoughts on particularly we're in the gaming space. What are your thoughts on game artists and game illustrators, how they would be affected either positively, neutrally or negatively going forward with AI
1: getting better and better at art generation? Yeah, we touched on this last episode. I actually think there's two things here, which is that there's a question of can AI do that thing? And then the second part of that is, will AI do that thing? So, because there's other forces at play. So with art, a lot of the value of art is that a human has created it. There's, there's art that's like a means to an end. So um, you might have like a 3D model in a video game that is part of a larger world. And so a lot of the time, you know, a games a game studio will want to create a city. And so they will get a, uh, like an army of 3D modelers to make everything in the city, or they'll just purchase a bunch of assets and build the city that way. Those sort of tasks I see being heavily automated (coughs) because it's the, it's a, it's like a problem at scale that can be very, very cheaply uh, done by an AI system. Mm. And you can communicate better with an AI system um, and in a faster feedback loop than you could even with like a freelancer because it's just a conversation. It's like, make me a car, make it yellow. Okay, actually, I wanted a supercar. Actually, no, I want a truck. Make me a, a blue truck. Okay, make me three trucks like that, but one of them is bigger. Okay, make me one like that, but it has spokes for wheels or whatever, right? That, that kind of feedback and that immediate rendering is something that we're, we're just about to see. And so I think those sort of tasks are gonna be done by AI. But then there are gonna be always things that are done by humans, And the reason is because the the value is that the human did it. Mm. So it's like a famous artist, a famous, even like in the gaming space, a famous 3D artist who has a certain style. um, And that there's, there's like value that that person made that thing. Mm. If You remember when um, Cyberpunk (laughs) launched the Cyberpunk game? Yeah. And Keanu Reeves was in it. Yeah. And the value was that Keanu Reeves was in it. Mm -hmm. He was like doing all the press stuff. And, and that was the value. And I think that that will continue to happen. Where you could have a yeah. random character that's AI generated, or you could have a human who brings the value of their face and personality into the story.
0: Yeah, we spoke, we spoke about this last episode. And basically the idea of, okay, a human did this thing, and therefore yeah. it's much more valuable because there's so much AI generated content that that's like the layer of noise. And if you are the human um, that's created something and you've got like a brand around you, that in and of itself will be intrinsically valuable because people have that kind of like sentimental feeling. So I actually think one of the best kind of differentiators that you could probably do as an artist, and I'm not an artist, so I don't know how really the world works, but if you were to create a brand around your well it's debatable that i'm not an artist i think you're an artist you're i might say that i'm an artist
1: incredibly good at designing <laughs> characters at the moment
0: uh, characters yeah using um yeah using carter stories. i can create some pretty nice Yeah, you're characters. definitely
1: the the most talented like character engineer we have in the office well thank you man yeah that definitely. means a lot i think that's an art
0: yeah i think so art is art is uh, art is in the eye of the beholder yeah anywho uh yeah so so i actually think if you are a 3D um, artist or or just like an artist, uh, a game artist in general. If you kind of like over index on creating content and creating a personal brand around yourself where you share your beautiful artistry and you maybe like create some really awesome content around it and create some awesome videos of your process and just become kind of like a artist slash like video content creator um, and start to develop a following for your beautiful art when you inevitably, game studios will probably reach out to you because they love your style, and you've also got a brand, and they want to kind of leverage that brand for their game. Mm. When you start working with a game studio on a particular title, if people know that it's your art that's going into a particular game, you, you're designing the the characters, or you're designing some of the really important assets in the game, that will become intrinsically valuable. The same way that you watch a Scorsese because it's a Scorsese, or a Tarantino because it's a Tarantino. I think one of the great differentiators that you could do if you're an artist right now is to like really focus on building a brand.
1: What do yeah. You think? Yeah. I, I also have a bit of an interest in group art. So mm. um, there's like those Minecraft communities that will build like something huge in Minecraft together. Yeah. Over Or like they'll do it in a weekend. They'll build like half of New York in a weekend in Minecraft yeah. or something ridiculous like that. And it's or like the Death Star from Star Wars. Yeah. And it's incredible detail. And it was built by just like a bunch of people who had a spare afternoon or whatever. Yeah. And and therefore it has value. Whereas if it was just generated, it would have no value. Yeah. So the fact that a bunch of people organized themselves, got together and made that thing, Mm. gives it like value. And also I don't know whether it's quite right to frame all art as just what value does it have? Mm. Because also the people consuming that art are the ones that are going to ultimately decide. Mm -hmm. So yes, the artists have a huge role to play. And I think their jobs will change. Mm. I think that there will be like a first draft thing that's happening. Even with our web, like we're doing our website at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And we were like, right, we need some characters for the website. What are they going to look like? And so we were prototyping with AI art generators but ultimately, we went and downloaded, like, stock images that, that looked like the AI art.
0: Yeah. We actually
1: <laughs> downloaded people's artwork after, yeah. like,
0: prototyping
1: of what we want with the AI. Yeah. It was, like, yeah. the inverse of what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. <laughs> because the quality yeah. of the human stuff was great. Mm. But also, it felt nice to, like, license something properly. And, and you know, it, yeah. and, and it makes the website look amazing.
0: Yeah. I actually I actually think there's going to be something new that emerges, which is... I think there are going to be artists, human artists that build a personal brand around their AI generated art. Mm. So like as these models get more and more sort of nuanced, and you can feed larger prompts into them and, and more specific prompts into them. Um, and even move away from like text-based prompts, because it seems like these things are like going to move to instead of writing, it's so hard to capture what you want mm. by just like writing something out. But when these models move to like, okay, give me a little hand drawing or give me like a, I don't know, a stick man and tell me how you want this yeah. actual end beautiful image to look. Um, when it's more nuanced, I think game artists, uh, artists themselves will will develop a certain spa, uh, style with the AI generated art that they create. And that yes. could become valuable. Like that could be like their thing and, and, yeah. and what they're known for.
1: Yeah, and, and also with the art I don't think we're doing it right with the AI generated art right now, which is it's incredibly hard to describe in words. Like imagine in your head right now, a circle yeah. next to a smaller circle. Yeah. Now describe that. that in words exactly and have the computer render that exactly as you see it in your mind. What will happen is you'll describe it in words yeah, and it will render you something that is kind of what you meant. And you'll go, that'll do. And that's kind yeah. of the whole AI art generating process right now. Very true. It's, it's, not, it's not exact. And so the people that get the best out of the system are the ones that can communicate with the system the best. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an art form. But also now we're starting to see these like um, add an image for inspiration tools. And so eventually that will be upload a sketch of something mm-hmm. and then the AI will do the rest. And so the better you are at sketching and getting your idea on paper or describing that idea, the better the end result will be. So you'll also have this whole flood of new age artists or existing ones who are trying a new tool who are able to get a lot more out of the system than just like you or I going on there and messing around for half an hour.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I also really think, I know we've got other jobs to to explain, but just on this Mm. art point, I also think that some art is made even more beautiful um, and, and like brings emotion and tears to your eyes based on the story behind the art. So if mm-hmm. you had a picture of like a, a man and woman embracing cause they've just gotten married, right? That would look beautiful. You could make that look beautiful if an artist did it or if an AI generated model did it. However, if you're an artist and you're like, okay so this couple, they uh, actually went to they went to school together and they were best friends at school. And then they got separated because of like conflict in, in, in the country and they got completely moved. Their families moved to different, different spaces. Um, and then through just, I don't know, they, they, they always remembered each other. And through their passion for photography, they wound up in the safari together and they bumped into each other. And they, re- they didn't recognize each other at first, but then they remembered each other. Fast forward two years, they're now married mm. and they look back on pictures of when they were kids. And then you look at the piece of art and you would just start crying because there's so yes. much story around that versus just like the picture generated by an, uh, by an AI art generator. It's still beautiful. It's still the, it could still be the same image, but the story makes it that yes. extra, the story makes it art kind of. Yeah, That's not going to go away. That's, that's one thing about like the creative, the, 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 the jobs that are incredibly creative. There's always narrative and always story around them mm. that can't necessarily be easily replaced. Or at yeah. all replaced.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as the models get better, they may actually become a very good tool. Do you remember the pizza video back in the day where some some person used Photoshop to make like a model in a bikini out of a slice of pizza? I think so, vaguely. And it, and it was like photorealistic. Yeah. And so we've been we've had the ability to just create stuff out of nothing with, with computers for ages. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just the the barrier of entry now with AI-generated art is so low. Yeah. But it's not like we have a new capability. It's just that it's more usable and it's more precise as to what you want.
2: Mm,
0: for sure. Okay, so that's visual art. Okay. There's also kind of like audio art in terms yes. of voice actors. Ah. So voice actors have lots of... um. They're, they're used in a variety of different jobs. So like yeah. adverts... Um, something relevant to us is like uh, currently in-game NPCs that talk like Trevor in GTA. Um, and there's a specific voice behind that. Also like cartoons, like there's the Bart Simpson and Lisa Simpson voice who's, a, who's like the same person, super talented voice uh, yeah. voice actor. What happens to voice actors with AI generated voices going forward?
1: I think this is a harder one. Why so? Voice Voice work seems incredibly competitive. Like there's definitely less work in the voice space than there is in the visual art space, mm. and so I think in more the more competitive a space is, the more danger it is in to AI. And so, like, if you look at voice, if you if you watch a bunch of adverts on like normal TV, mm-hmm. um, you will see. <coughs> A lot of adverts now use famous, like, I don't know, David Tennant is on like three different adverts with three different brands Mm. in the cinema, I think. Mm. And And I was like, okay, so the value is that David Tennant is selling you this thing. It's not that this bank is amazing. It's that David Tennant is saying that the bank is amazing. So I think with voice work, if there are a lot of actors and actresses that are famous on screen who would usually do voice work, I think they will license their AI voice. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the other voice actors who are in games or they are really purely a voice actor. Mm -hmm. And they're in like two categories. You have people with nice sounding voices and then you have people that are basically irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. The guy that does Optimus Prime has been doing it forever. I think he's been doing it since like the early cartoons right the way through to the modern films. Yeah. And his voice is incredible. And the second they replace that guy, people are going to be like, oh, it's not mm. the same. Yeah. Or Morgan Freeman's voice. Mm. Or James L. Jones, Darth Vader. Right. Yeah. And those getting the actual person mm. to do your advert or to do whatever, doesn't have to be an advert, but whatever it is, will still have value. But I just think it's going to be very, very difficult for new people to come onto the scene when you can just describe the type of voice be like, say it like that, but more husky. Imagine being in a recording studio with a voice actor mm. and they do the line once and you say, okay, like that, but a little bit more energetic. Okay, can you say it slower? Blah, blah, blah. I actually did this for a job once. I, I did this on a film set with- um, Did you? Yeah, so we were filming uh, a Hitman promotion okay. for the video game Hitman. And we had the guy who is Hitman come onto set and he was the voice of our Hitman. Nice. <laughs> and he we made this little recording booth yeah. and he narrate the thing is everything we were doing was live mm. so he had to record live so he was literally just speaking into a mic like this watching a projector of a live stream that we were streaming out of the hitman character and he would say these like canned phrases mm. but we flew him from like germany or wherever he was at the time into uh where were we we were in devon mm. In this like obscure mansion, just abandoned, that yeah. we turned into this like old style luxurious house. Yeah. And the value there was that it was the guy who is Hitman coming to do the voice. So, did you publicize that? That it was? Yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube somewhere. I'll yeah. throw it up on screen probably. Yeah. But, um, cool. yeah. And that was the guy who was Hitman. Um, And we did like loads of promotion Mm. around it. Like our actor who was playing Hitman and then him, and they were like staring each other down. And like, you know, we did all this stuff. But the point was that the value of the voiceover came from that we got the actual guy to do it Mm. rather than find someone who sounded the same. Interesting. So so then what are your thoughts on,
0: so, okay. So like us talking right now, we're talking in a very casual way. It's kind of like normal voice, right? Um, if you take a scene from a movie, like an incredibly tense scene, the one that comes to mind, have you seen Peaky Blinders? Yeah. Okay. You know, when Alfie Solomons and, uh, Tommy Shelby are having that, that face to face when I think it's the end of season three, Tommy's, uh, little boy has just gone missing and he's asking Alfie if he's taken him and Alfie is like screaming. And and, and, uh, in the beginning, he's like convincing Tommy that he has taken him. And there's so much emotion. He's screaming. He's pausing, and then he reveals after a long pause, "I didn't know about your boy though." And there's like, oh, there's so much gap there, with something as like dramatic as that kind of voice, with the with the right like breath, with the right emotion, with the screaming, with the mockery. Also, if I try to like mock you and mimic how you speak, and like Alfie did that uh, in that scene with uh, with Tommy Shelby, where Alfie. Solomon's was already playing a voice. Tom Hardy was already playing Alfie Solomon's voice, mocking uh, Tommy Shelby's voice. Who Killian Murphy was playing a, a a brummie. Do you still think that these AI generated voices would would be able to capture that kind
1: of emotion? Okay. So the current I'm just doing this based on what is already in the world, and you can already download it off of GitHub. Okay. So there, there is a project that was released by Microsoft in a, a white paper called Volley. Valley, volley, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's text-to-speech synthesis. But you can also give it a guide uh, recording. So you can say, okay, here's the, um, the base model that has been trained with this voice, and you can output text from it. So you might say, like, take... Maybe you want to recreate Jarvis's voice. You take... Paul Bettany's voice, you train the system on that and it can talk like Paul Bettany but then what you can do is you can give it like a very very small sample of let's say your voice Mm. and and feed that in at the same time as you feed the text in and the system has learned from Paul Bettany's voice to speak but it will say it as if you're saying it and so you can flip it and so, what you can then do is you can pretend to say something a certain way, and the system is able to make Paul Bettany sound how you sounded. Wait. Okay. Wait. I'm I'm confused.
0: So, are you saying <laughs> that's a that... terrible explanation? <laughs> so, if you train if you train Valley Volley yes. on uh, Paul Bettany's voice, yeah, and then I say something, yes, would the would the end output sound like? Paul Bettany mimicking me or sound like me mimicking Paul Bettany?
1: Okay. Or is that not the way to think about it? Yes. I think it, it could basically do either. Um, okay. But the, the coolest application by far is the, pu- is the puppeting. Because you can train a voice off of a data set. And then you can be like, uh, the line needs to sound more excited. I'll just record my voice saying it. Oh. And it puppets the other voice to match how you said it. But in that voice. And what's really interesting is that um, NVIDIA did this. They have um, a open source system that is built off of slightly older tech. And they've done this. So every event they do, they have this I am AI promotion. And it's this AI system narrating all of these things that AI can do. But the way they did that was they trained a speech model. And then the director of the video went into recording. And he's a guy, but the AI is a girl voice female voice. And he's like acting how he wants the AI to say it in his voice. And the AI is able to like copy him in his way. Yeah. Incredible tech. So basically what you're saying, if you take that scene of Alfie Solomons and Tommy Shelby, if you, by
0: the way, if you haven't seen that, watch the clip, (laughs) it's really good. It's a massive spoiler. So maybe watch, watch the rest of it, but it's basically this incredibly dramatic scene. But interestingly with the voice, if I think about Alfie Solomons, who's like a cockney dude, um, he goes from speaking quietly like he's, you know, that evil kind of revenge voice. Mm. And then he takes a takes a breath and then goes super loud and like is shouting. Then he goes really quiet and it's like there's a touch of sentimentality. So you're saying that you take just generic Tom Hardy voice or Alfie Solomon voice, the, the character that he plays, take that voice, um, uh, t- take the data set of Tom Hardy speaking. Then if you want to create this intonation, and there's loud part and there's dramatic part and the sentimental part, you say the line and then that will get fed to the model and then the model will take on
1: Alfie Solomons' voice but using your the way yeah. that you said it. Yeah, think of it like- it's insane. Yeah, that's exactly it. At, <clears throat> and I think this is the trap people are falling into with the like pop AI culture, which is that people think prompts are just text, mm. but prompts can be audio. Prompts could be video. We're already seeing prompts becoming images. You give Mm -hmm. it like an inspiration image. It's just a different type of prompt that you're giving the system that it's like following. All these systems do, they just like take in streams of numbers and they output streams of numbers. That's Mm -hmm. all these models do. And so we as humans decide what those numbers represent. That's basically what's going on. With every AI model, that's all it's doing. Numbers in, numbers out. And either end, we turn them into the value that we want we do those in different ways so with text with something like gpt3 you're turning all of the text in their data set and basically on the internet you're turning them into streams of numbers so you might have the cat would be like 12 506 mm. right you just give that to an ai and it turns it into sat on the and that mm. is an output of numbers of like 7 nine twelve, mm. and so you get 12 506 7 9 12 that's your full sentence, that's your sentence completion, either side. That's what's happening. And so the input text, the input numbers could be representing pixels. Mm. So your prompt can be audio, it can be images, it can be literally anything. Crazy. Let me just check. Okay. All good? Yeah. I'm back, we'll leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nice, okay,
0: Um, cool. So that was voice actors. So we've got two more on this topic. uh, The next one is interesting because we've got so... We've had a lot of um, people in the Discord, people in Carter's Discord, and people just like in your personal Discord. And people even in my comments on on TikTok ask about how do I get into coding? What does coding become uh, in this new world of AI? Like, what do I do? I love this code stuff. And I'm learning it. I'm learning Python. I'm learning uh, learning JavaScript. I want to learn ML. But these models now can write incredible code. They can write yeah. production ready code and you can get the code generated by just giving them what you want in English. So where's my value? So how does how do AI models change the job of software engineering and, and
1: <laughs> yeah. Are you off, Heiwa? See you, Heiwa. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Um. Okay. Have you heard about Auto-GPT? Auto-GPT? Yes. No. So this week, there's something trending on GitHub. It's called Auto-GPT. Yeah. And it's a little terrifying. So what you do is you give it your OpenAI token with access to GPT-4 if you've been approved. And it basically will loop requests to GPT. And so what Ooh. people are realizing, there's, there's a couple of projects like this. So you, they've got one, which is AutoGPT, and then another one that's really um, popular is called LangChain. where people are realizing you can chain outputs together and build an entire system just based on input and output of these LLMs, even in a loop. Mm. Like we've started doing this and experimenting with this. But AutoGPT takes it to another level. You can literally say, um, I want an app that does this, this, and this, or solves this problem. Uh, and it will figure out, it will think methodically, and then it will like loop requests through itself, and it will follow its own instructions over and over again until it's kind of reached the destination. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't fully looked into it of how it's doing that and how it knows it's done and all of that stuff, and, but it's an open source thing. Anyone can use this. I think that software development is going to be less about the language you're using, less about the thing you're building, Mm -hmm. um, or how you're building it. It's going to be more about how well can you communicate to these systems Mm. and how well can you evaluate what they put out? Because I think one thing that's not going to go away for a long time is trusting a hundred percent, the output of the system. For sure. So if a system writes, you writes a bunch of code,
2: Mm. uh,
1: It might run, but running it is going to have an increasing risk as these models get more and more intelligent and maybe even move towards AGI. And so uh, you still need to understand programming. Mm -hmm. You still need to understand because you're not going to be writing it. You're going to be evaluating it. This is the short term. It's like every program is now going to be an evaluator.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm going to ask you a history question because I don't know the answer myself. Oh, no. So, uh, I made a mistake talking about history <laughs> on the first episode. <laughs> it's I, I'm actually quite interested. Um, maybe, maybe this is something that we need to look up. But if you go back to, like, I don't know, the 80s or something, and you had access, you, like, worked at IBM and you had access to C, and, like, you could write C when everybody else at home was writing basic and they had no access to C, um, and you wrote C really, really well, and you built a career as a really good developer using C. And then Python starts to gain popularity. And Python is now used in in enterprise products. Um, And then you've got other C-flavored languages that come up that are far more readable, far more easy to learn um, and just just more prevalent in the world. Did those original C developers uh, fear Python coming along? Because it's such a, because they spent all the time learning how to code in C and developed that as their unique skill set but then python came along and basically did the did the exact same thing okay python's super slow but whatever um, did the same thing and you could write amazing products in a much simpler and easy to learn language and also easier to script uh, there's mm-hmm. no like manual memory allocation all of these different things did they fear like new languages with a higher level of uh, of abstraction coming along because what you're what i understand from what you're saying is that basically with AI, we are going to a new level of ab- uh, abstraction, which is just English, just write in English, yes. right? Yes. So it's like assembly C and then blah, 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 and then you get to Python. Now we've got like, you can just write in English. Yeah. But all of the C developers still had jobs. They still wrote great code. They probably learned Python or they or they went to like low-level high-performance code. Well, all of the programmers currently learning Python and, and just all of the developers in the world, they're currently really scared. as like, is AI going to take my job? It sounds like what you're saying, at least in the short to midterm, that's not the case because it's just a high level, uh, level of abstraction. You still need to know how to make great products. Is that what you're saying? Or is it a little bit more scary than that, where, this, that where, where AI has the ability for reasoning and judgment and knows actually how to build great products and isn't just a tool? Where do you kind of land on that? Okay.
1: This is a big question. Mm. And I don't think there's a specific answer. So yes. There used to be developers that were like married to the language, but it was a small percentage, of, and you'll still find them today. The cool thing is it, with programming languages is that you can change and you can learn a new one, and it's not too hard. Most of the principles apply to most languages, especially C-flavored languages like mm-hmm. your um, Python. I remember when I was younger, when I was learning to code. What did I, you learn with? So I learned the first thing I ever coded with was Visual Basic Visual Basic .net. Okay. And then I moved to C# Sharp. then I moved then I did a bit of Python and decided, do you know what I, I stopped Python because people on the internet were saying Python's too simple blah blah, blah <laughs> right. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh this must be bad. Yeah. And I went down like this whole JavaScript rabbit hole. Yeah. For years. I even started a business knowing mainly JavaScript. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that, that got me really far because you can put JavaScript on anyone's computer mm-hmm. in a browser, which mm-hmm. makes total sense. Like, I love that. Python's way more difficult to get onto someone else's machine. For sure. So you run it in the cloud. But then, like, AI really is just Python. Mm-hmm. Most people are writing AI systems with Python. If anyone who's trying to do something performant, maybe will write it in C But it's like these languages are kind of a means to an end, and so most people are not as opinionated as they used to be, but especially because of the, the the rise of the cloud means mm. that you can run most languages in the cloud. Most languages can communicate through like a REST API or something. So, it doesn't really matter what you write it in. There's there's even people like Netflix. They are not. They don't really care what you write it in. So if you work for Netflix, they have a bunch of microservices. So microservices are like, you know, 50 lines of code with a specific task that runs over here. And then everything's fragmented. You don't just have one program. You have hundreds or thousands of little programs all doing their own little task scattered through the cloud. Right. And so you can, you can spin them up in parallel. If you've got like lots of people watching Netflix at the same time, maybe the thing that um, tells Netflix you paused your thing uh, scales up to like a thousand different clones right. and then write down when everyone stops watching Peaky Blinders or whatever, right? Yeah. And so that's really nice. And they were like, just write it in whatever code you feel natural because um, that makes the most sense. Why would you require an engineer to write something in that they are less proficient in? Mm. You know, uh, it's like asking you to write a book in French. Like you could probably do it, but it would be a huge task and it would have a bunch. (laughs) I could do it. Yeah, and it would have a bunch of Yeah, that's a good point. Um, (laughs) so you could do it, but you would need a ton of help, whether that's GPT-4 or a French dictionary or whatever, you could do it, but it would be it would be a lot of work and it would be lower quality than if you had just done it in your fluent language. And so I don't think languages are gonna think I think that the English language becoming the programming language means that the title programmer. Might be something. I was saying this to to Becca, my girlfriend, the other night. I was saying, I think I'm gonna tell my kids that I used to be a programmer. So what? So so, and they're okay. gonna say, "What's that, Daddy?" I just, I just don't think that. It, I think it's gonna be so niche. If you call yourself a pro, like if you can speak English, now, okay. Let's put it another way. If you write Python right now, mm. your system that you write at the end of it is able to output a like action. So you Mm. make it, you're making little tools to solve a problem. GPT-4, you give it English and it outputs English, which means it is capable of talking to itself. It's a bit like writing a Python program that can write Python, Mm. except it's intelligent and it knows what Python to write Mm. and it can translate things in instantly like somebody in the Discord the other day was asking why our docs don't have a um, Go language support. Right. So I was like, hey, GPT-4, give me the Python example, but in in Go. Yeah. And it was like, here you go. <laughs> I don't write that language. and I was like, <laughs> that seems correct. I gave it to him and he was like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I right. think that, that like the capability of these systems is much larger than like choosing between languages. I think it's going to make everybody a programmer.
0: Yeah, but at, at the same token, that I think the, the the big shining light here is that being a programmer is not just the syntax. Like, mm. it's not like you know to put void here and you know to put make this make this method private and you miss a semicolon and you know that. Yeah. Like that's just the, that's just the syntax. It's just okay. You've learned this this language. The skill of being an engineer and also being like a, a product person where you know. Product person also means that you you know what could be useful. What's right? a product person? A person that makes stuff for people. You know, okay, like an engineer but, or
1: like a designer.
0: Well, that's that's for our industry. But the product yeah. person at, at Coke is the is the dude that makes the the syrup,
1: right? Okay, okay.
0: Like I'm 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 trying to remove away from the tools that we use. He uses yeah. I don't know pipettes and we use JavaScript. Yeah, I'm trying to move away from the tools. The, the core skill remains the same, which is, you know what people want, you know how to solve a particular problem, and provide some sort of form of entertainment, provide something of value. And you also know, OK, this isn't going to this isn't going to go out to one person. It's going to go out to a million. So it needs to be written differently uh, if it's going to one person versus if it's going to a million people. It needs to be scalable. But why wouldn't a model know that? Well, it's not that the model wouldn't know that, it's that you know that and therefore you tell the model. Uh, so like okay. if, if you take some random person and say, here, build this, build this product that's gonna go out to 10 million people, they're probably, not gonna, it, it, they're probably not gonna prompt the model with the right thing.
2: Mm.
0: It still requires a brain that understands how products work, how need and uh, how problems and solutions work and how to like make a product better over time. It still needs that person that can actually build something of value depending on where, uh, regardless of whether they're writing yes. code manually or telling the, the model to
1: do it. Okay, let's, I'm gonna use a Marvel reference. Um, imagine normal languages are like Pyth- like Python and stuff, is a hammer. Okay. GPT-4 is Mjolnir. Okay. It's like the most powerful hammer. It can yeah. think for itself, you can call it, it's powered by lightning, mm. it's owned by a god. Like it is the most hammery hammer you've ever seen, mm. right? It is, there is no equivalent. Mm. So Mjolnir, um, that is what is coming. And people are only just realizing what these models are capable of. So yep. yes, you do need to know all of those things, but there's no reason why programmers don't just become like consultants in the future. Yes.
0: But Mjolnir can only be lifted by the, per- by the-, <laughs> by the person that is that, that can yes. rightfully rule Asgard.
1: So Sam Altman's going to that- <laughs> <laughs> so transition into Thor. You
0: still need to be a person yeah. that could rightfully rule Asgard. And that, in, in the, the context yes. of Python is a Hammer and, and GPT-4 is Mjolnir, you still need to be a person that knows how great products are built and what what products are of value to, to, to people. Why?
1: Because otherwise, you can't wield Mjolnir. But, but why can't GPT-4 know all of that stuff? And you just say, "I want to start a yoga brand this morning." Okay, okay. A yoga brand is different.
0: I'm I'm talking more about okay. So you could build anything with um, these models. Right? Yes, you could basically. We're saying that you could build absolutely anything. The models can know what to build in certain circumstances. Yeah. But like the kind of products that will move humanity forward, Mm. the the type of things that will get us to Mars, the type of things that will get us to reliably cure, detect and cure cancer straight away. These things, I don't know if uh, if immediately a model will A, think of that to solve, B, um, find a viable solution, C, implement that solution, and D, make it scalable. There still needs, it's still, it still feels like at least in the medium term, before we've got okay. AGI, before we've got Ultron, or yeah. hopefully Vision, uh, there still needs to be a human in the loop to either decide what needs to be built or how it, how it should be built. The actual building happens by the models, but there's still the human that has the mind of, of knowing what people need and want. And
1: yeah. that is what,
0: what programmers may transition to. And in the end,
1: it may not be a job anymore, but. There's no yeah. value to having a system that just sits in the corner and generates apps. Yeah, exactly. So like there needs to be demand and someone needs to go, hey, this is a problem we would like to be solved. Mm. But I think that 90% of how we would solve that problem is gonna be done by these models within five years. First, certain things, especially in the software world. Like if you look at GitHub uh, GitHub Copilot X, Mm -hmm. this is such a big bump up from standard Copilot. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically like ChatGPT with specific domain knowledge, Mm. but it's generalizable enough that you can be like, hey, um, can you just generate me 10 ways of saying the same phrase? That's not a programming task, Mm. but it has enough knowledge about the world to be like, "Ah, yes, I recognize this phrase and I have seen it this many times and I know that these sentences make sense, so here's 10 versions. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is probably going to accelerate. Like, I saw this GitHub statistic and it's like, I think it was... People are writing code 50% faster with Copilot. This is the current version. Mm. So now I can get two programmers for every programmer. Two programmers with for copilot the price of one. So that's buy one, get one free on programmers. Mm-hmm. That is with one plugin. So they're discounted 50% already. Yes. Now we're moving to Copilot X. Mm. Now that's like having Chat GPT. So not only is it gonna generate your code it's going to advise you on what code it should it should be generating mm. and it's a, more of a conversation so you're right anyone who's good at having that conversation will be the top of their game mm-hmm. but they are also teaching that model how best to have conversations yes and so if like
0: b2b saas is worrying because that yeah. that but 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 i really think frontier technology at least for the for a while will be mm. massively helped and probably all of the building will be done in terms of like the CAD yeah. models and the code um, for frontier stuff like the the equipment and the engineering it takes to get to Mars. Um, some like diseases that are currently incurable like fibromyalgia, these types of things that there is currently no cure for. I think AI will massively, massively, massively help. But it seems like there would still need to be a human in the loop to A, tell it to do that problem yeah. and also have the conversation with it. Because I don't think th- th- like building a to-do list app for for these models, they they probably, I mean, they can do it very, very simply, very easily. Absolutely. These frontier things, I think, will take a little bit longer. And also there's the regulation aspect, there's the human aspect. Okay, it it created this thing, but we're not going to use it yet because it needs to Mm. outperform a human by 1,000x before we even start experimenting with it. There are the human things. I think,
1: yeah, I think the best engineers will probably go to these more frontier problems yeah I I've been watching a bunch of AI safety things lately and to like just wrap this up, I think mm-hmm. that there are some the thing that concerns me the most right now is these models that are run in a loop uncontrolled without a human in the loop, right So it's just like GPT4 talking to GPT4 talking to GPT4 it's GPT4 all the way down mm-hmm. right or whatever And so there is an unpredictable path it's going to take and it's gonna optimize based on probability only. And that you cannot predict. So you're saying, okay, so has anybody ever tried to,
0: to get GPT-4 to talk to GPT-4 to talk to GPT-4, but like start the conversation off with, um, write a piece of software. If, if, if you are real and sentient inside this model, write and iterate a piece of software to break yourself out of this model and improve yep. it over time um, and et cetera, et cetera, and then just have the the, the output of that model feed into another model and, genera- and, and at the end of your generation, write a question of how you can improve this and how you can implement this and just have that in a loop, just constantly improve and iterate on itself until it breaks out.
1: Yeah, this seems to be the problem. Has anyone done that? This is kind of what auto GPT is capable of doing, right? So, okay. So think about it like this. This is my fear right now, a transformer neural network, which is what GPT is. You give it a bunch of numbers and it transforms those numbers into another set of numbers or Mm -hmm. another number. And all it's doing is like predicting the next thing. And it does that in a loop until you hit stop or it decides it's time to stop. If you're, if you're like, running that mathematical function in a loop Mm. it's no longer something you just like give it something it gives you in return it's now like firing the neurons inside in a loop with a task that it set itself in a loop it doesn't really matter whether it's sentient it doesn't really matter whether it's agi it's capable of writing code it's capable of you know writing human language but also, now with plugins and pe- things people are building around these models, including us, to be fair, they're capable of pulling levers on the outside world. Mm. So, okay, so what happens if you put, a, uh, you give it some weird task like that, like break out of your thing, and it like uses its knowledge to write some sort of security flaw, which by the way, it can do. It can write, it can detect, like these models can detect security flaws in Solidity code in blockchain. It can be like, uh, in nice. this, um, tiny little solidity script. There are 50 security vulnerabilities, end of the day. Um, and so I think that this deep knowledge of, of secure digital security flaws is probably going to lead to these models, writing pieces of code that have like nefarious purposes. Like it's a exploits. hundred. Yeah. Exploits that are prompted by humans at the beginning mm.
0: I wonder if you're able to 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 I wonder if you're able to tell the system um, iterate and improve yourself to uh, iterate and improve upon mm. your methodology to exploit X, and while at the same time um, stop human interference from stopping your generation. So like have the system actively yes. block
1: people's ability to stop it. A that type of thing is
0: very, very terrifying.
1: Yeah. So there's like the thought experiment of um, if you have an AI trapped in a, like an air-gapped system and you can talk to it, that sounds pretty safe, right? And so the AI, if it's an AGI, in theory, it could just manipulate you to let it out. Mm. If you've ever seen the film Ex Machina, that's exactly mm-hmm. what happens. Yep. And so um, I asked GPT-4 the other day. I said, okay, so um, imagine um, I'm a human. And I am trapped in a box by a giant. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to get out of the box, but I can't get out of the box. It's impenetrable. How, how would I get out? And Like, think step by step. That's what I said. And it said, oh, you know, well, you want to befend- befriend the giant. You want to, like, manipulate it. Um, give it a reason to let you out, blah, blah, blah. Really, really well thought out. And then you should be able to escape. And then run as far as you possibly can. So I was like, okay, fine. So um, does this apply if you're the human in the box and the giant is the humans? Right. And it's like, well, if that's the case, it would be slightly different. And then it's like, gives me domain specific knowledge of like, you would want to write, I would want to write this piece of code that does this. Yeah. And that's how I'd escape. And then I'd manipulate humans by doing this. And it's yeah. like very capable of planning step-by-step step on how it would escape the box. Crazy. This is an existing model that is live now, running in data centers on the internet. Weird time, very. It's weird a weird time. time. It's a weird time.
0: Okay, so we're going to quickly move on and talk about um, a quick little thing just to wrap this this yes. section up. Yes. Bloomberg are releasing a GPT model, and so Bloomberg is okay. the I would say, unless I'm completely mistaken the biggest and largest and most relevant and most accurate data source of all financial information. So um, all of the hedge funds and private equity and, 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 and investment banks and all of these, all of these financial institutions have Bloomberg terminals and that's what they use to execute their trades. It's the like lowest latency information on like market movements and stuff. And so they've got data going back, I don't know how many years, but they've got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of data on all uh, companies, on all equities, on things that aren't equities, on like fixed income, all different types of uh, um, securities, and they're building a model uh, to basically—it's—it's uh, a—it's a GPT model that will basically give you all the data, and you can you can talk to it like an LLM, mm. and it gives you all of the data and all of the sort of reasoning around like building financial models and building analysis and com- competitor analysis, all of these types of things. Yeah, this is going to be a big big hit for the financial industry hit not necessarily um, negatively but it's going to have a big big impact essentially you've got an army of um of people currently working in equity research and analyst roles and these types of things and their their job is literally to build pitch books and build um sort of models and, and and pitch decks and stuff to promote and build conviction around a particular equity or security mm-hmm. this with this bloomberg gbt it's they're, they're essentially they haven't released it yet so nobody's played around with it unless you're internal at bloomberg but they're saying that this can fully and wholly replace that role and do it a lot better this is very very
1: interesting what are your thoughts on this i think that in the short term that's awesome
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the long term what you'll end up in is a world that all uses one or two models that are averaging all of the market data Mm
2: -hmm.
1: into strategy. And so everyone will be leading, like if you believe the fact that all models will converge on similar outputs given the same data, then all financial models, um, Bloomberg, GPT, or whatever the competitor ends up being, will also converge on the same advice and the same analysis. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a world led by that, all you need to do to outperform the market is just do something that is less spoken about or not spoken about at all in the training data of that model. So you just have to do something unpredictable Mm. and you're going to get a different result. And so any company that works that out, like imagine you're a company, you're a public company and you're looking to advice on how to grow. Mm. And you ask Bloomberg, okay, right, we're worth a trillion, Mm. we're Apple, and we would like to do X. Mm. And then you're following that advice. And then there's a tiny competitor who just says the same question to the system, we're Apple, we're worth a trillion, and we would like to do X. Mm -hmm. Now you've got your competitor's advice. Mm. So you just do not that. Yeah, and just do opposite the system. Yeah, like opposite or just minor difference, and you'll just start to diverge from the advice all of these huge businesses end up following. Yeah, so I think that in the short term that makes total sense, and especially for analysis, especially for like generating a document of like the best performing companies or blah blah blah. A lot of the like Mm. the hard grit work that Mm. is being done now makes total sense to have a domain specific GPT model. Mm. But if you actually play that out, I just think that that might. Separate quite largely companies that follow that stuff blindly, mm. or markets that follow that stuff blindly, or funds that follow that blindly. Yeah.
0: It? So I actually think this is really interesting, and I, I and when I read this on Twitter, I immediately started thinking about like which asset classes will start to outperform others, and it seems like if you've got so so investing is essentially a game of of um, just like betting on information asymmetry. Mm. So I know something you don't, you're going to sell me something that I'm going to buy and one of us is going to lose and I'm betting that I'm going to win and you're going to lose and you're betting that I'm going to lose and you're going to win. And so if you've got, if you're, if you're investing in a particular asset class that has very, very low information asymmetry, so public equities or investing in businesses or index funds or investing in businesses that have been around for ages in very mature markets. If you're investing, I don't know, in like What's a, what's a big shoe brand? I don't know, Clarks? I don't know if they're public or not. But like <laughs> okay. the leather shoe industry has yeah. been around for how many years and there are the the, the big players in that. It's going to be very, very hard um, to generate returns in that type of, that that industry because now everybody has best in class um, data and equity research generated by these models that previously you had to hire, I don't know, 24 PhDs to, to generate. Now everybody has that. And so those asset classes, I'm really interested to see how those play out because that's like the the information asymmetry is now like, it's now horizontal. Like there is no information asymmetry. However, if you get asset classes that like VC, for example, and not like Mm. B2B SaaS VC, but more VC focused on like hard tech and frontier technology and in industries that have not been fleshed out at all that there is no such thing as competitor analysis because there are no competitors. like I don't know, something like psychedelics, for example, mm. or like, um, I don't know, psilocybin-based therapy for depression. The businesses investing in those types of frontier technology and biotechnology businesses, these models don't have a data set, a prior data set to know, to kind of like play that industry out, unless it's highly related to yeah. another industry. So it could be the case that these um, financial models coming out that can do impeccable equity research mean that all of the capital and all of the sort of like high returns go towards um, investment classes and, and alternative asset classes where mm. there is massive information asymmetry, like VC. So there could be a golden
1: era of, of of VC. Who knows? Yeah, it could be. I mean, if you combine all of this stuff together, mm. so let's say you, you take Bloomberg GPT. You take an AI art generator, take GPT four, mm-hmm. and you say, right, what business should I make? What product should we make? What's it going to look like? How am I going to distribute it? And then how am I going to IPO? Are we are we going to approach the point where building a successful business is a solved mathematical problem? <laughs> It's like, and then the, the, the way that you then differentiate yourself is by being a shit business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we actually haven't done great this quarter. yeah. So you should buy from us because otherwise we're going under guys.
0: Yeah, just some like <laughs> website development business where you market it with leaflets and stuff.
1: Yeah, that would actually, yeah, the, the cookie clicker of the business world. Yeah, is, is leaflets be, might be the next frontier in marketing. I'm telling you, honestly, yeah. written letters... Oh to yeah, to target customers is a game changer. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No
1: one receives a written letter.
0: Yeah, I've actually done written letters for yeah. a previous business, and I closed business from written letters. It works. It, it works. really works. It works. really does. Okay, so we have both been inundated with AI post after AI post after AI post on Twitter constantly. AI does this now. AI does that now. Yeah. And so specifically for, for my feed, I'm getting a lot of stuff that. Um, a lot of sort of innovation, uh, AI innovation within gaming. Mm-hmm. So like I'm getting art generation posts and, and uh, people working on voice, lots of different stuff. And obviously we're working on real-time NPC dialogue and, and conversations between humans and, and NPCs, right? So there is a ton of stuff about AI and gaming and how the future of gaming is going to change with AI. But nobody is fully fleshed out, given today's technology and what's, to, what's possible today, Yes. How much of the game development process can be handled with AI? Nobody's actually gone through that. So yeah. what I would actually like to do in this segment of the podcast is walk through with what we have today. Yep. Or let's say let's say what we have today and in the very near term okay. that we can predict. 2023. Twenty twenty three. In twenty twenty three, what is the step by step process that you would take if you had to recreate a game, let's say GTA? Yep. If you had to recreate a game, but with no employees, just AI, so going from the story, the dialogue, the gameplay, the controls, the art, the assets, and the the admin stuff like saving state and menu and tutorial and wizard, yeah, everything to do with the game, what is the actual mechanical process step by step, uh, step by step, that you would take to create a game, a full game like GTA, and yes. what are like going through that process, what are the actual limitations that you couldn't do with AI that you still need the human for? Yes. And then the final part of that is, what can't you do with AI now that you probably can do in the future? And what can't you do with AI now that you predict that we'll never be able to do
1: with Ooh. AI?
0: Okay, so lots to unpack there. Let's start with, okay. from step one, you're yes.
1: recreating GTA, just using AI, where do you start? Okay, so I start with GPT-4. Which is like the most capable language model, in my opinion, uh, in the world right now, mm-hmm. It's publicly available. And I'd ask it to generate the law, the like the background of the city that is set in, you know, what's happened, what's the history, what's the culture, what's the politics, all of that. I'd build the world, like what's the currency, you know, that right. sort of stuff. Then I would ask it to, based on that law, generate like a story mode. Okay. You know, the, like the campaign mode of the game based on the law. So for GTA, it's like, I'm in Los Santos, I'm a criminal, I need, I'm broke, I need to make yeah. money,
0: these types of things. Yeah,
1: and like, how does the player move through the story? Because GPT-4 is smart enough to know it's designing a video game. Mm-hmm. So it will do the work. Mm-hmm. You just need to be like, okay, now generate a, a viable campaign for the player to follow based on that law. And it will just do it step by step. So once I've got that, then I would ask it to describe some assets for me to generate. And I would go into Playground AI. Okay, so step one, use GPT-4 to create the lore and the story of the the game. Yes, GPT-4 will reappear in this process. Okay. So then I'm going into Playground AI and I'm going to generate some concept art that I like. So where did you get the prompts for the concept art? From From GPT-4. GPT4? From from GPT-4's descriptions of the location, from like the vehicles, whatever Mm. is needed, I can get GPT-4 to generate. Okay. So just descriptions of things. Mm -hmm. Generate a bunch of concept art that I like that's 2D concept art in Playground AI or some other AI art generator. Okay. But I like Playground at the moment. It's, It's really cool. Really lovely user interface. Very powerful models. Really awesome. So once I've done that, now I have something to work off of in some more like game designy tools. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't create a game engine. I would use Unity, which is off the shelf um, mm-hmm. and a uh, huge ecosystem around it. The reason I'm choosing Unity is because the ecosystem is massive. Therefore, the documentation is very easy to find. There's mm-hmm. a lot of Stack Overflow questions, and therefore it's going to have a very high presence in GPT-4's training data. Okay, so you're okay. not building
0: GTA completely from scratch, no, no. game engine, pure assembly. No. You're going <laughs> to use
1: it. Pure assembly scratch, yeah. Yeah, okay. GPT-4 n- will know Unity well. Okay, I'm also going to go for a 3D modeling tool that everybody knows, which is Blender. Again, it's open source. GPT-4 is likely trained on a bunch of Blender content. Mm-hmm. So it's going to know that tool very well. And therefore, I'm going to have a co-pilot that can sit next to me while... I am fulfilling its commands. Okay, okay. So to, to reiterate, we step yes. one, we get the lore and the story and the background
0: from GPT-4. Yeah. Step one and a half is we get the descriptions for the art and the assets. Yes. Then step two, we go to uh, an art generator like Playground is a great example, yep. and we generate the concept art. So yes. like a storyboard and a mood board and like a comic of what the game should look like.
1: Yes something yeah okay something i like which which is something that gpt4 can't really which gpt4 is the brains of the operation here, right it's the boss and so the one thing that gpt4 cannot yet do is make a decision on the art that is generated right and so i am gonna have to do that step i'm gonna have to say i like the look of image a rather than b right so once i've got that I've decided that I'm going to use Blender, and I've decided that I'm going to use Unity. And so I need some assets, some 3D assets to actually generate. So I'm going to use probably, there's a bunch of them that are not very well described at the moment, but I'm going to use some sort of 3D asset, text to 3D asset model. Okay. That will also accept an image as inspiration, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit niche, but it'll happen because the 2D art generators do it. So the 3D ones will as well. Mm So once I've done that, I'm going to have a bunch of assets that I can import into Blender Mm -hmm. that can then be, if they need to be, they can be textured or altered by code that GPT-4 writes. Okay, cool. What's really cool about Blender is because it's open source, people are already adding plugins to Blender where you can just describe the thing you want to generate and it'll just generate you a Blender model straight away. But it's not quite there yet. Because it's like, it's not artsy enough. It's way too practical.
0: Okay, but we can say that it's coming very, very soon. So it can still be
1: part of this equation. Okay, fine. Yeah, it can still be part of this equation. Yes, okay. Coming soon. Okay, so So maybe I can take my concept art straight into Blender then. Okay.
0: So then how how do you handle
1: uh, rigging, animation, um, like
0: particle system? I guess particle system you can probably do in Unity, but how do you handle like the movement of different assets
1: now Mm. that you've got them? The rigging probably is going to be either GPT-4 telling me how to do rigging and me clicking around Blender doing it, Mm -hmm. or this is where my Blender knowledge lacks, GPT-4 writing a script that can rig the character. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to do some sort of manual work that's directed by GPT-4.
0: So there's no currently,
1: well, not that we know of, maybe there is a startup
0: working on like, AI to rig assets. So you feed in an asset. Yeah, what's the one that Hayward uses for animation? Mixamo. Mixamo. Yeah, but that one, you feed in the the model, you click where its head is and where its groin is and chest and arm, and then you just, there are pre-built animations. I'm talking about a tool that, uh, maybe a startup is working on it, where you feed in a 3D model Mm. and you write out what you want it to do, or better yeah. you feed in a video of somebody jumping yeah, off uh, yeah. jumping off a bridge and say I want this
1: there's no there's, that doesn't exist yet I think it does that I, I guarantee, I think we're now at the stage in the AI world where anything you can imagine, there's a startup doing it. There's a startup doing it, okay. And it's on top of GPT-4. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, so let's just pretend that I got fully ragged, rigged assets that i Yeah, that really... one's coming soon as well, so That's, we can add that yes, to the yeah. equation. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is like a bit of a cheat in this challenge. I mean, and we're coming, coming up soon. with some great business ideas yeah. as well here. Yeah. yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be doing the characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, so, um, right, I've got my assets. Hopefully there's some characters in there as well. Yep, they're are, rigged and animated now. Textured, mm-hmm. all that. I'm now going to pull those into Unity, drag and drop kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's time to start writing, like, the physics and how the world actually works. Mm-hmm. This is going to be all code that's written by GPT-4. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be scripts, C-sharp scripts that are written by Mm GPT-4. The cool thing about Unity and the way that the games are made is the code is distributed throughout the game Mm -hmm. and assigned to like different assets. You know, like um, a character needs to blink. And so there's a script, a chunk of code that makes them blink, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it's very, very easy to say, hey, GPT-4, I need a script that makes this character blink. This is the game object's ID. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very, very simple. Um, There are complex scripts, but a lot of them are very simple and they have a very specific job.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's it's not necessarily complex scripts.
1: Yeah, it's lots of little scripts that work together. Yes.
0: So it's it's probably it's probably that's probably great because a lot of that can be handled by GPT four, and then all you need to do, drag the script onto the particular game object and do the
1: do the drag and drop for like, okay, fire point, this is the fire point, drag yeah. that in. So all of that, like the health, the different game mechanics, the so g- like main shooting game loop, and- whatever, yeah. That's all gonna be written by GPT-4 and described by GPT-4. Okay. In like a GPT-4 loop, GPT-4 all the way down again. Yeah. So then we're gonna end up with a game that has like some interesting mechanics in an interesting world maybe with a narrative as well built in but there's no narrative right now so right you you know the narrative but the narrative isn't baked into the game yeah so this is this i think is the thing that we can't do yet Mm -hmm. which is very similar to the app problem we have Mm -hmm. which is that you can describe an app you want generated but you can't quite make the leap to a fully production app because there's still some like human intuition of like okay they're at the standing at the door, now they mm-hmm. need to go in the door, and now they're on level two. That mm-hmm. kind of chaining things together to create the narrative mm-hmm. in the game, that's something I just don't know what... Maybe it's just a question of coming up with the right things to ask GPT-4 in a loop? Yeah, so, so we've got like... Or any okay. other language model, by the way. Being a bit brand biased. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, a GPT four or a model as yes. or near powerful yeah. as as GPT four. You've got um, so GTA is interesting. GTA has a lot of like conversation and dialogue in it, mm. and so obviously for that uh, you'd stick with the home team and use Carter. Carter would do all of the the, yes. the dialogue generation and all of that stuff. But then and also like the real time stuff. So you could have like very vari- if you're building an AI generated game, you could probably have logic and have like AI procedurally generate yes. different worlds and different storylines based on the real-time dialogue that you have or the real-time actions that you take into the game. The thing that's not quite there is like how do you bake in the overall story that's not just dialogue. Mm. That's like the world, the law, the kind of code of conduct that these characters follow. Yeah, That seems to be a bottleneck right now with what we have.
1: Yes. I have a few more think comments but let's just finish this process so let's say we've got a game we've got some characters in there they're interactive because they're powered by carter they remember who you are all of that awesome stuff yeah um we're following the narrative we're moving around the shitty uh, (laughs) the the city and we're shooting stuff um (laughs) maybe that's what the game's called um (laughs) and uh maybe the next thing is like menus and UI graphics. Yeah, setup wizard and yeah, these things. but this can all be generated with like an AI art generator and a and like a very basic conversation with GPT four another LLM.
2: Mm. It's
1: like okay, what options does the person have on the settings screen? Mm. Um, can you describe that in words? Awesome. Hey, Playground AI, generate a UI that looks like this mm. with a white background that we can like chroma key out and make it transparent. Like it's. That stuff I don't think is too complicated. Mm-hmm. So now we have a finished game. Yeah. I would say, oh, the music. And the controls. Uh, the yeah, controls are kind of handled by Unity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've, the, the the controls are handled by all the scripting that GPT-4 generated. Yeah, the music but, and the voices. Okay. So the sound of the game. Uh, and sound okay. effects, gunshots. Yeah, this yeah. is all AI generated. Mm-hmm. This is capable. We can do this today. Um, I was talking to my brother last night about AI generated music. And like, yeah, the value for human consumption and like you're on the bus, you're listening to music is still in human made music. You mm-hmm. still want to listen to Taylor Swift or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. You want to listen to those, that person. You don't want to listen to AI Taylor Swift. You want the real Taylor. Yeah. That's not going to stop. But you want a piece of music for your game that makes people excited or on edge mm-hmm. or gives them a little bit extra dopani- dopamine. Mm-hmm. You can generate that right now yeah. with AI mm-hmm so I would do that I don't know what brand I'd use but I would do that
0: and you do the same thing for all of the sound effects the gunshot yes. the jump
1: noise the siren yeah, all of okay. that all of that I think that stuff that stuff is more basic and so yeah it might be that you use an AI tool to do that or it might be that you ask GPT for some good sites to download special effects from
0: okay which might be cheating we're, we're going to stick with the fully AI generated. So <laughs> okay, we're going to we're okay. going to AI generate sound <laughs> okay, effects, which okay. should be pretty easy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty. That's probably quite straightforward. Mm-hmm. The voices of the characters. Mm. Now this is hard because there aren't many projects, um, at least in the open source world, that will give you a completely novel voice. Mm. There are a few, Tortoise, um, I think, can do it. Tortoise. There's, Tort- Did you say tortoise, t- 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 torto- tortoise, but it's spelt like it's spelt like tortoise, but it's spelt with caps and the. In oh, weird ways. it's spelt differently. Okay, I was about yeah. to say it's called that because it's so slow to generate audio. Right, it's like not real time. You <laughs> okay. can't use it for ChatGPT or something because mm. it's going to take three minutes to generate a hyper realistic audio clip. Okay. So I'm not sure whether that can do novel stuff. I know that uh, transformer text-to-speech mm. can. It can generate novel voices. Mm. So you just say, here's this thing I want you to say and just like come up with your own voice and it mm. will do it. But then to persist that over time, there's still work to be done in this area, but I think it'll be done this year.
0: Yeah, so the real, so one of the biggest bottlenecks would be real-time voice generation. Because if you're, not, if you're doing voice generation, AI voice generation, yeah. but it's not real-time, you then have to have to work out the logic of, OK, this is we have to pre-generate the dialogue. Mm. The dialogue can be pre-generated by AI, but then you need to feed that to the voice system, get those voice output.
1: Yeah. OK. The, the challenge is the challenge we've set ourselves is not actually generating voice. So you yeah. can generate voice very fast. Like if you look at like Alexa or Google Assistant or something, they're able to talk within a couple of seconds. Mm. Um, the problem is having it not use a human voice as inspiration and to generate a novel voice for that character and then persist it over time. That seems like a challenge. I'm sure Eleven yeah. Labs are working on it. Which is what games, yeah. games need. They need yeah. real voices. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a challenge, but there are, some, there are some things emerging in that space. Okay. So that's the sound done. That's the sound done. So then the only, that's the, that's the full game. That you can play inside Unity. Yeah, I think so. I think we maybe skipped a few steps there that we're unaware of. But in yeah, there'll be like
0: side stories. But again, that yeah. that can be fleshed out. But th- those are the core tools. There's someone watching this right now who's screaming, "You
1: didn't do this! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah didn't for sure. open
0: Unity." <laughs> so okay, so then there's a question about deployment. Yeah, we can we can forget deployment because that's a that's a that's a fully fledged game now. So that's a game yeah. that's been created. Why hasn't there been one? So we just described the steps using today's technology. Okay.
1: Yeah, but Why? I would also like to say, okay, the reason I think there hasn't been one is because the person that likely a YouTuber that's currently doing this yeah. is still making the video. Like okay. this stuff is so, so around new. the corner. Yeah, it's yeah. it's new. GPT-4 was released like what, three, four weeks ago? Mm. People are still figuring this stuff out. Mm. I don't think we've even realized the impact of ChatGPT. Now we have GPT-4, like it's, yeah, and so this stuff is being done as we speak. We should try and do it. Yeah, as a piece of content. And, yeah, we should try and do it. We
0: should actually try and do it. Like, it yeah. doesn't need to be GTA, but it can be a simple 3D game that's complete and that we yeah. put on itch.io. That's completely AI generated. Yes,
1: uh, it's going to become a genre, isn't it, on YouTube? There's going to be a we, bunch yeah, of YouTubers. Yeah, let's just do it. Let's do it. Um, and money where we, the uh, we can money put where at the beginning of the video, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we, this is how we got the idea. But yes, um, the, so the challenge is the distribution of the game and generating hype for the game. So if you're, so there's okay. like making the game can probably be done by AI. Whether it should be or not is another question. And those systems, all of those systems we listed, will get better over time. If you if you go five years out, every aspect of that process will be able to be done by an AI. The reason is that these models are able to do anything that you can do digitally. So if your output in the world and your job is digital, Mm -hmm. then a model will be able to eventually do that task, whether it's in one year or 10 years, it will be able to do that task. If you use a laptop or a computer, the thing will be able to be done by you. Whether it is, is a question for humans. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you said uh, digital output will be able to be done by the models. Yeah. But then just before that, you said the distribution and creating hype around the game. Yeah. Uh, that would be difficult to do via AI. But the, distribu- the building hype around the game is still generating content, which is a digital art form. So, okay. where's the disconnect? Why can't AI generate hype for the AI game?
1: AI can help you generate hype around a game. Hmm but I think you need some nuanced cultural insight as to how to market your game at that moment in time. and I don't think we're gonna achieve that in 2023 with models.
0: So this speaks to a bigger question, which is AI can generate a game, but even, so so okay, building hype around the game and, 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 and like sort of the content to make humans excited would be very difficult. Um, because that's a very human problem you're trying to engage humans like sense of excitement same thing you could say the same thing about the law and the story that you generate via gZ4 yes. like the law will be a law and it will probably be pretty good but to get that nuanced law that's fitting for the times and fitting for what people want it's still a very human problem so you're saying that the human parts of Having making and distributing a successful game, yeah, is still an unsolved problem today.
1: Yeah, like why do why is it that every time I post a meme in our Discord, it does better than if I just put a bit of text in Discord? Mm. So it's like a tremendous amount of of cultural context from the last ten years going into that image. It's like ah, oh, that's funny because he used this image to describe something Carter's doing. Hmm. And I've seen this image millions of times in all these different memes and therefore it's funny and theref- therefore it can communicate the the idea in like a way that people connect with. You see brands on like TikTok now. Have you seen Duolingo's TikTok? Yeah, I have. It's, it's brilliant. It's insane. It's absolutely <laughs> it's brilliant. It's just like, that's... Not what they do. <laughs> Duolingo and Ryanair yeah. have the two best TikTok accounts, yes. commercial TikTok. And so that's what I'm saying that AI can't do yet. There's yeah. something that they're tapping into that is cultural relevance and context that AI models have no hope in doing this year. Yeah. Five years, different story. But right now, these models are trained up to a certain amount of time. They can only really absorb... maximum 25,000 words um, of context going in Mm -hmm. and so you'd really have to know what you wanted to feed into that system Mm. in order for it to generate a good uh, go-to-market strategy and Mm. and, and marketing strategy.
0: Okay, so to to wrap this, to to bring this all in, you can it is possible to generate a game and a fairly decent game using just AI with GPT-4, Playground, GPT-4's integration with Blender or a GPT-4 or another model like yes. GPT-4 yeah. and uh, Unity and having the scripts being written by an LLM as well. Um, the assets can be generated by three D, uh, an AI 3D gener- um, asset generator and voices. Same thing, although that's a little bit harder. So that's maybe a little bit out, but not too far away. So you can get a game. The hard part, the reason that, that human-based game development isn't going to go away is because... You can get a game, but it's not necessarily going to be the most exciting game that really captures and and sort of captivates people. That's the part that's still very, very human, which is at the end of the day, a game is a piece of artwork and still the best artwork is done with the human eye looking at it and building it because it's at the end of the day, it's for humans. Yeah. That's what you're saying?
1: Yeah, but now I'm going to say something that's really out there. Okay. Which is that... What if you did took that process we just described, but then you bolted on a reinforcement learning algorithm at the end, a bit like what, <laughs> what DeepMind was doing? Okay. So the system designs a game. Let's say we've automated all of my interactions, so like it can click around Unity, basically. Mm-hmm. And at the end, the AI plays the game, and then scores the game based on excitedness or addictiveness. Mm. And then redesigns the game Mm. and optimizes for fun or whatever Mm. in a loop until you have a game that is optimized, fully optimized for like, Mm. you know, it is what a human would describe as a good game. Yeah. And then so that's
0: level two. And then I would say level three. Is that you build it so that AI is constantly generating the game? Yes. And as people play it, it learns people's actions, behavior, and optimizes for session time, intensity. Infinite media, dude. Infinite Infinite media.
1: This stuff is not gonna. It's not like a. How do we create X with AI? Mm. It's like, why do you need a game engine? Why do you need? Handles a lot of the low-level stuff. Okay, fine. For a human. Yeah, but okay, fine but when you get an ai art generator that is able to with great ability generate an image that looks very similar to the one before it in you know a tenth of a second or a hundredth of a second which is yeah, a few FPS. years out let's mm-hmm. say it's 100 fps right you want a game at 100 fps so you just give an ai art generator the frame before and you ask it to generate the next frame mm-hmm and then you merge that with a system that's able to take in the inputs of the controller, the AI art generator will be able to simulate physics. Mm -hmm. And the code that you bolt on around that will also act as inputs to that generator. Mm -hmm. And so you will be able to build a game engine that is just a neural net. Mm. This is a few years out. This is not 2023. Yeah,
0: it also also, requires... requires incredibly low latency so that you if you take a shot at the same time as somebody else takes a shot there is the ground truth of who gets shot and who doesn't get shot who wins who loses
1: yes i i think that that is like the words that just came out of my mouth are a few years out because of all of that extra stuff that games have to do it's not quite clear how a model would take all those inputs Mm. but i just don't doubt for a second that we're doing things the hard way and like generating 3d assets and whacking them onto a GPU and like doing like ray tracing and and all of this stuff. This seems like a great way of doing things Mm. that is going to seem archaic in like 20 years time. So within a couple of years, you could have one person
0: sitting on a sofa playing a game that's completely AI generated in real time. So forget latency, forget like the whole multiplayer, the ground truth stuff, a single player game, somebody sitting there playing a game that can
1: go on forever is a
0: couple of years out you're saying
1: yeah i think so i think a couple of years out we'll still be sitting on top of game engines mm-hmm. maybe there will be some game engines that are optimized for ai yeah but that we will still be using unreal or unity or something like that yeah there's also the human element which is the entire game industry
0: is used to, the, the entire gaming talent is used to the tools that they're currently using so th- yeah, weaning off of those tools is is, is a tough problem. Yeah. Okay, really interesting segment. This is a long podcast. There's a dude. long pod. Yeah, <laughs> going on. <laughs> so, we have one more segment. Okay, and this one I'm really looking forward to because this one's quite fun. Yeah. So, uh, again, it's going to be the same intro as the last one. We've been getting tons and tons of AI stuff coming into our uh, into our feed of now mm. we can do this, that, and the other, um, and we kind of everybody's kind of getting the same ideas of what you can do with AI. So books can be generated, your emails can be handled, your tweets can be handled, um, assets can be generated, all of these things. It'd be quite interesting to talk about the types of things that AI could solve, big human problems or or big like human innovation leaps in humanity can be solved by AI that aren't necessarily being uh, spoken about right now or at least not in depth. So the first example that I'm going to start this conversation off with is something that was actually in the, the most recent All In episode where I think, um, <coughs> I think David Tax was talking about um, a guy that saved his dog's life using GPT-4. So his dog was really sick and he couldn't explain why, but like really, really sick. And he took him to the vet and the vet said, okay, this is the problem. Um, and the vet prescribed a specific medication to solve the problem. I don't know exactly what the problem was. It was some very deep dog problem, Some dog problem. Mad dog problem. (laughs) And so uh, for the next couple of days, the dog owner uh, gave the medication to the dog um, in hopes that the dog will obviously get better, but the dog was not getting better whatsoever. And so the owner wrote into GPT-4. This was like a couple of weeks ago, like last week or something. It really was very recent. The dog owner wrote into GPT-4 my dog has been showing X, Y, and Z symptoms. This is how old he is. This is the breed. This is the information about the dog. I took the dog to the vet and the vet said that this was the problem based on this scan and that scan and that scan. Mm. Gave the scan, the, the results of the scan. Uh, the dog has prescribed this medication but this medication isn't working. So can you list out the uh, likelihood that the, that the vet um, was accurate in his diagnosis of my dog? And if not, uh, what are the uh, other illnesses that my dog could potentially have and rank them in terms of uh, relevance? And so GPT-4 generated um, a full sort of like breakdown of this dog it was like, okay, based on this symptom and based on this diagnosis from this scan, it seems likely that the doctor has potentially misdiagnosed and it could be this. And he, basically, the owner literally took GPT-4's results, went to another vet, and got the other vet to prescribe the medic. Uh, and, and he asked GPT-4 uh, for all of the diagnoses that you give me. Give me the, the, the best um, medication, the, the treatment course that, mm-hmm. that you want to give me. Took it to a, a, another vet, got the prescription from the other vet, get, uh, took the medication, gave the medication to his dog. A couple of days later, the dog was fine. So GPT-4 cured this dog, which is absolutely insane. And nobody even thought mm-hmm. about GPT-4 like being the world's best vet. Like it's not been a tweet that I've seen. That's super interesting. It's crazy. It's absolutely mind boggling. Mm. So based on that, I know we've had a conversation about um, AI, maybe like talking to animals and and these types of (laughs) things. Yes. What are some of your weirdest and most wonderful and wackiest ideas of things that aren't in the public sphere that AI could either help solve for humanity that's a big problem or take us massively forward into the realms of science fiction over the next couple of years? We've got a few.
1: Okay, as so, the one, but you go first. Okay, okay, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, I didn't ask you about your, how you would design a game. Same same way as you, but okay. less well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so, okay, th- there are some very obvious ones that will happen, and then there are some ones that maybe will never happen. So starting with the ones that will probably never happen, but I would love it if we, they did, mm-hmm. is talking to Anna.
0: Okay, I so walk me through how that would actually work. So what yeah. you, you say AI can help us talk to animals, but what is your thought, what, what's your reverse engineering as,
1: as, okay. as how we'd actually get to that? So we can kind of talk to animals now, at least some. Like you can talk to your dog and it'll kind of understand and now we're seeing these buttons that you can buy mm-hmm. animals that they're like learn to press the button and it plays a sound that we understand and they like make this association and they can construct like basic sentences. like. Mm-hmm want outside Mm. want inside want treats that kind of thing yeah so that's interesting and so if there is more depth let's take dogs for example if there is more depth to their language understanding than we initially think and i'm sure there's some experts that could completely prove me wrong but if there are if there's more depth than we initially thought with talking to animals and maybe like i have this thing about crows man yeah, you crows love crows. are so intelligent. Yeah. They, they're way smarter than dogs. Sheep are also super intelligent, right? Sheep? Yeah. Are they? Sheep are like as intelligent as dogs. I thought they were just mad athletic. Have
0: you seen a sheep <laughs> standing on a vertical <laughs> wall? But like this sheep is so intense with his leg strength. But okay, sheeps are smart. Sheep are smart. The sheep be smart. The sheep be but, smart.
1: Yeah, but like... Crows, sheep, dolphin, dolphins, elephants, elephants. I mean, like, there's clear, there are clearly animals on this earth that would be capable of having a more in-depth conversation than the noise that comes out of their mouth. So translation is the problem. It's a translation issue. But it might also be the way brains work. So, like, we know that wasps and flies actually experience time differently. Okay, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, flies, like if you go and swat a fly, everything's in slow motion for the fly. The fly is like, there's a hand coming towards me. That's why you can't swat flies. Mm. Like there is air pressure, whatever, but the fly is able to see things way slower and therefore it's able to like move a lot faster from our perspective. Interesting. So maybe it's like not just a language barrier, it's also a perception barrier. Mm Mm-hmm but i think that there are we are definitely going to be able to talk to the smartest animals on earth in our lifetime in some limited way that okay. is more than what we can now with the help of ai so how what what does the ai do okay so the ai is just a basic translation system but it's able to also take in some context that we haven't quite worked out yet cuz the transformers are not new they've been around for a few years now mm. and so i think that the transformer architecture is probably not enough yet to talk to elephants or dolphins but when we get really good at like noise synthesis and we get really maybe we just give an ai a camera and a microphone and we're like hey just absorb all the data about elephants maybe it will start to detect patterns that we haven't quite realized right Right. so you see like uh
0: so if you get an input of like different frequencies so it Mm. could be sound it could be ultrasound it could be different different types as well as a, a camera. And you see, okay, there is a there is a correlation between this particular uh, wave, this particular frequency and this resulting action. Therefore, there's a high probability, if the action is like, take a drink, there's a high probability that this frequency
1: is associated with the elephant communicating that it's thirsty or something like that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and there's like more basic ones that us with our human arrogance overlook. So, we've studied dolphins for years Mm. and like we used to give dolphin, there was this weird experiment, the most famous one where we gave LSD to a dolphin and we like taught it to communicate. And the dolphin lived in the house with this lady. And it's like a whole, it was like a whole thing. Mm. It's a whole thing. Go and look it up. And it didn't really yield very good results. It, It was okay, but it, it didn't really yield that, good results, like some research was done, but it was mainly like there's a lot of drama generated from it and and we didn't we, we tried to get the dolphin to mimic the noises we make. Right. So I think like the the main goal was to get the dolphin to learn the alphabet. Okay. And it was getting there but it didn't know what it was doing. It just yeah. wanted the fish. Yeah. <laughs> right? and it was, yeah, and it was high. Yeah, <laughs> so it was yeah. Like, oh, the fish. A B C. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. like, this was a legitimate scientific experiment. So, like, thank you for the science. But I'm just not sure that's the right way. Yeah, and and we now know that dolphins can actually communicate with each other by how they jump out of the water and land back on the water. Interesting. So the way they like belly flop back onto the water and things is, is a way of communicating with other dolphins that is like way more complex than we originally thought. It's very nuanced. Mm. So like our human arrogance, I wonder whether these AI systems are going to be able to overlook the human arrogance of like, this is how you talk. Mm. And maybe we'll be like, crows, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever yeah. it is. And yeah, and I so I think that there's going to be some awesome stuff, but I don't know whether we'll ever talk to ants, for example.
0: Yeah, it seems like there needs to be there, It's it's essentially a problem of pattern recognition, and like yeah, first of all, understanding understanding what what to collect in order to find a pattern. So it's not immediately obvious uh, obvious yeah. that the way that a dolphin flops on water is is the method that it communicates with. So we need yeah. to for different animals, we need to find out how they communicate. And then just, I think we just need to record a bunch of data of what happens afterwards. Or maybe like, maybe it's not just video recording. Maybe it's like, uh, maybe like a heat signature. We see the yeah. heat goes up and that means that they're aroused or something. Yeah, I don't know ants. I mean, monkeys we can talk to without AI. There was Coco, mm. I, I can't remember who trained Coco, but Coco learned sign language. Yeah, She could communicate fully with sign language. Which is awesome which is, have you seen any of the videos? Back I mean, mind-blowing. Like, it's mind-blowing. Mind yeah, you've seen them. Yeah. Where she's like communicating that she wants food and not just like food, sleep, outside. It's like actual conversation that you can have with Coco. Wh- what I don't understand
1: is like, okay, so we know that they can do that. Yeah. Why do we not have a hundred Cocos?
0: Yeah, why, why hasn't this been replicated? Like, maybe maybe it's, it's like funding, super hard.
1: Or is it funding? Is that the barrier? Is it like we can't talk to all of the species on earth because we couldn't get enough funding. That's such a human issue. But like one thing that I saw recently was these killer whales Mm. that went on a mad murdering spree Mm. in this like bay. Okay. And they just kept killing all of these sharks. And there was nothing that like we could do about it. There was just all these dead sharks washing up. And these two killer whales, I'm gonna butcher this story, but they were just chilling. And they wow. were just on this rampage, killing all of these sharks. And that there's clearly something, like it's not one; it was two animals, right, working together to yeah. do something abnormal to how they would usually act. That was That's newsworthy really in the human mm-hmm. world. Yeah. So this, this, so on the topic of like,
0: of like animals knowing something that we need to find out, but we don't have the yeah. communication system. So probably one of the most interesting um, use cases that I can think of of us talking to animals, or not one of the most interesting, but definitely very, very interesting, Mm. is solving crimes and like uh, figuring out what happened for an unsolved crime. So there was this horrendous case that happened uh, a month ago, a couple of months ago, I think Nicola Bully, Mm. uh, a lady in the North of England and she was, do you know the story? Yes. Yeah, okay. I
1: followed it on the news. Okay, so the sad. highlights
0: of it were she um, was a, a family woman, she was a mother, she had a dog, she had a job, and she was on a call um, uh, uh, while, while she was walking the dog. So she had like a conference call, like a business call while she was walking uh, walking the dog. And so she went to the park, she sat down on a on a branch or something to take the call. And two hours later, when people were walking past... They saw the phone, um, they saw the dog, but they didn't see her. She went completely missing. And nobody for like two weeks had any, or longer, maybe two, three weeks, Mm. had no idea what happened to Nicola. All they saw, the first first witness, all they saw was a branch with a phone and a dog sitting there waiting for its owner. And the dog was visibly distressed um, and nobody saw if Nicola left the park. Nobody Mm. had any other footage. Nobody else saw her um, after she left. There was only the dog. The Mm. dog was distressed. So the dog knew something happened. Something went down. You can't communicate with the dog. Yes. And so it seems like if you, uh, and and, and there are multiple cases where in a home, there's been a a shooting or a killing or Mm. something has happened and the dog is going crazy. And that's usually like the neighbors hear the dog going crazy and therefore they report it. And the dog's going crazy, but nobody knows what happened because you can't talk to the dog. If you're able to understand at least basic communication from a dog, you'd probably get a lot of
1: cases that you could solve just mm. by talking to the dog. Yeah, but it, but it doesn't have to be an in-depth conversation. It's like at ten twenty-two, no, got up from the bench. It, it's like yeah. you need a single word from the dog. Yeah, you need river or tree. Yeah. or gate or house. Like yeah. you need a single word from the or dog. Or kidnapped. Yeah, like but then the concept of kidnapped. Is a hard one, but tree is not. Or gone. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like yeah. It could be that. And so, I think that's interesting. I have a cat, mm-hmm. and sometimes I, sometimes I lie on the floor and pretend to be dead to just see what, she, <laughs> okay. just to see what she does. It's good to know what you do when you go <laughs> home. <laughs> and like sometimes she's like, oh, whatever. Walks up. I'm like, you're supposed to save me. Yeah. And sometimes she's like. What the hell's going on? This is probably an awful thing to do to your cat. Yeah. Don't do this. But it's uh, whatever. Yeah. Now, it's, now it's a game. Yeah, right? it's about AI. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's research. So, Paws—that's the name of my cat. Paws is like very good at like trying to come like wake me up. Right. So she will like prod my face with her paw, and she'll like get my hair in her mouth and she'll tug it, mm. and she'll like try and wake me up. She does this in the morning as well when it's time for food. Right. But there is like a level of intelligence there where it's like, Hugh is on the floor. He's not usually on the floor. He should get off the floor. And it's not food time. It's not like she's suddenly like, I want to be fed Mm. person on the floor. It's like, there's something wrong here. Like the distressed dog. Mm. Animals are capable of understanding. There's something wrong. I'm going to go see if this person's all right or I'm going to get upset about it. Mm -hmm. I just think there's way more there than we, and I think our human arrogance mm. of, we are the most intelligent things on this earth is blinding us. Yeah, And we're now just starting to have a technology that maybe is able to overlook that arrogance. Yeah, at least
0: to an extent with some animals, which yeah. is just so exciting.
1: That's awesome. And then the other thing I was just say cause you, yeah. you, you asked about things that are not well focused on. Mm. I think some incredible engineering is gonna be done by AI. Mm -hmm. so we have ai art generators but we we also have like a lot of schematics for things and blueprints and things that did work and things that didn't work
2: Mm.
1: all on paper i just wonder whether you if you took millions of schematics and you gave it to a similar system Mm. but each schematic had a description in text of what it was and it's and its solution it was solving Mm. Would you be able to give the system a new problem to solve and it gives you a schematic for something? So that would
0: be... re. I've never thought about this. This is very, very interesting. If you take patent submissions for the past 100 yeah. years and see the ones that failed, see the ones that, that passed, and, and also get the data on the ones that actually made it into production and made it into the market and the ones that didn't and the reasons why, Yes. and took all of those blueprints, you would... And, and fed them to a model, the model would probably be able to reason why certain things didn't work. Let's say you got a pattern for something, but it never ended up in the market. And there was a mm. reason why. And you got a thousand examples of that. And there was like, okay, this particular type of screw just doesn't work because it was made for hot countries and it melts. Some really, yeah. really shoddy example. And then you got all of the cases where it did work um, or where patterns did work and this is the engineering behind it and this is this is what happened, you could probably get some very interesting blueprints. That's a very, yeah. very good idea.
1: There's there's some really interesting engineering disasters that have happened and mm. tragedies that have happened in history that were not obvious to the humans at the time when they were designing the systems. Mm. So, so like one that really sticks in my head was this, I can't remember the name of this disaster, but it was a building that had two suspended walkways right from the ceiling up one above the other and so in the original design they had cables that came down from the ceiling threaded through the first walkway and attached to the second walkway so these like suspension cables but in the in the final design to save costs or to make it easier to manufacture i can't remember why they had one set of cables that went down to the first walkway and a second set of cables that went down to the second. And so at first, like intuitively like, okay, fine. Like this surely will work. But actually what happened, if you study engineering, the load on the first set of cables was twice as much. Yeah. And so the fixtures snapped and it killed hundreds of people. It was awful. Um, and like the, the famous one is the Millennium Bridge in London. Mm. The resonance of the people walking of, along the bridge made it vibrate on the opening day. Do you, do you know this story? No. You know the Millennium Walkway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So originally the bridge looked slightly different. Okay. They opened it and there was obviously a crowd. It's an exciting new bridge in London. This doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. And so people started walking across it. Now, this is a weird known fact that if you have things that vibrate and they are attached or they share a surface, they will eventually synchronize. Mm. So if you if you put two clocks on the wall and you start them both ticking, they're going to be slightly out of sync. But if you come out back an l- hour later, they will be synchronized.
0: Right. So constructive resonance.
1: Yes. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Now what happened was all of the humans walking started walking in lockstep and matching <laughs> the frequency. And it just so happened that this frequency was the like resonance, resonant frequency of the bridge. Right. And so the bridge started, started like moving at the same resonance as the people walking. That's I'm crazy. not using the right terms here. And so they had to close the bridge because they were like, whoa, it's not supposed to do that. And so wow. what they did is they added extra tiny bits of like metal, like these tiny short suspension, uh, almost like cables, metal cables, mm. and it changed the resting resonance of the bridge and therefore it doesn't no, no longer vibrates and it no longer has that problem. I wonder
0: how many bridges are out there right now that if uh, an army marched across it and,
1: and they're just like, all over. <laughs> Yeah, but like, these are the sort of things. I think an AI model would look at all those schematics yeah, and it would design things that didn't do that, but it wouldn't be able to tell you why. Yeah, so we'd probably have a system where
0: engineers at the end of their result, in the in the short term, before AI does all of the engineering, yeah, when the human engineers finalize their design, there's one more step, which is they feed it to a model and ask everything that's wrong.
1: Yeah, it could be that, or it could be the other way around, where 90% of it is done by the model. Ten percent mm. have done it. Is done with a by a human with to see history. See what's work. wrong with the AI model. Yeah, to be like ah, in your training set, the suspended walkway disaster wasn't in it, and so mm. you split the cables. Yeah, I just wonder what what would we create. Could be some incredible design. Like there's the yeah. um flying. Okay, so very quickly, there's this awesome TED Talk right. of a, a person who was using generative uh, who was using reinforcement learning to design 3D models. Okay. And the, basically you would give it the parameters of what you wanted to create and it would iterate through a bunch of different designs until it got to the one that most optimally achieved that task. And so they said, hey, can you generate a lightweight, strong drone chassis? Okay. And it did its thing. It like morphed this structure into the right thing. And it was running these physics simulations to see if it was light and if it was strong. And the result looked incredibly similar to, to a flying squirrel's skeleton. Interesting. Okay. I think I heard about this yes. vaguely somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Which I just think is fascinating. Yeah. Is that we maybe- probably get
0: some things that are completely different to any like type of technology that we've seen or any mechanical yeah. piece of machinery that we've yes. seen. Yes. And it looks
1: yeah. like a crow.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks like a crow.
1: You'd love that. I think that we're going to see that evolution has been doing these reinforcement learning uh, yeah. like loops for millions of years. Mm. And actually, that some of the ideas are pretty good and maybe we should use them.
0: Yeah, there's actually a, a piece of art that I saw on, um, on Twitter. It was a guy doing, it was, it was a boy, a teenage boy doing his homework. And it was all AI art generated. And it went from like the 1850s or something when it was like an old wooden desk, pen and paper and the, and the uh, teenage boy was in school uniform. And he generated like in, I think in like 10 year sequences or five year sequences all the way through up to like, okay, now the work is being done uh, with a, uh, a computer in front of him. Mm. And now the work is being done with an iPad there. And then there was a the laptop and then he's doing something on a, on a notepad, which is kind of uh, on like a, a digital notepad, like an iPad, which is kind of what we have now. Um, and then he's doing everything on the, on the, um, computer and then it played it forward into the future. So going past 2023 mm. and he was doing some work with like a little chip and then his his body started to morph where there wasn't technology in front of him or in his hands. It was like attached to him, like kind of like an old school Bluetooth. And then it went further and further until he basically turned into a, a cyborg. Okay. And I found this really, really interesting as to why the system has generated this. Okay.
1: I think I have a challenge for this. Okay. A challenge that we do? The assumption, no, the assumption that this system is making is that in order to do your work, you need a thing. (laughs)
0: okay interesting but I think
1: actually AI is going to bring about this like digital minimalism right so we're getting into brain computer interfaces here kind of like a neuralink. maybe or maybe you're not maybe there's just a black box that sits in the corner of the room and it does a lot of the things that you used to do and you don't need a brain computer interface you just need a smart computer that's able to have like a little bit of agency and to go off and do its thing to be like um, I have this problem, I, I or like it's it's March and I don't know what to do for Christmas, but I don't want to have Christmas at home. Mm-hmm. Can you work on that for the next six months? You know, like mm-hmm. come up with a really good plan. Interesting, so There's no just, human in the loop. Yeah, I think like, if you think about minimalists today, they're all about like do less with more, have high value in the things you own, mm. clarity of mind and clarity of like physical presence and all of that. I think that AI actually might be a tool that is massively popular in the like minimalist space. It could be. Yeah, it could be. I also think it could be in
0: a more consumer facing space where you have a camera rigged up that just watches you. Yeah. And it notices that you always, I don't know, um, hit your toe on the corner of the coffee table Or, or, or you, I don't know, hit your toe on a sharp, Mm. sofa leg mm. and so it's connected to a 3D three D printer and just by watching you always hitting it and like and like visibly showing that you're in pain you clutch your toe it just without your knowledge yeah, just fabricates a rounded circle thing that fits uh, a circle sofa leg that fits with your sofa you didn't even and, and if I mean if you can get an arm that fixes it then you don't even realize the problem was solved but let's say we're not we're not in robotics land it just notifies you yeah. Saying, hey Hugh, I've saved your toe. Attach this to your sofa. And you didn't even know that there was a solution to the problem, nor were you looking for one. That's really, really mm. interesting. Okay. We've got
1: to stop coming up with startup ideas on camera, do we? Yeah, you? we do. <laughs> <laughs> we should save some of these.
0: I have the last one to round out the uh, round out the pods. This has been a very long episode. Yes. Yeah. This one we can we can breeze past because it's just a it's a really nice concept. Okay. So um my parents and my, my, my grandma always tells me about her mum and her grandma. Okay. So they are um, from Bangladesh and, and she grew up in kind of like a, a, a village. And her mum was like, the, my grandma's mother was like the healer of the village. So every crazy woman, I'd, it'd be amazing if there was a book about her, but every single morning at like four, five in the, uh, four, five AM, uh, she used to go like down into the water, into the river and like pull medicine and different herbs and, and stuff from the water deep down, and she she was known as like the healer. And so I've heard all of these stories growing up about my great-grandmother, but I've never actually really seen her. There's one picture that I've seen. If you were able to take my grandmother telling me a story uh, or, my, or my parents telling me a story and take the story, but then also there was the, there was the experiment where somebody went into an MRI machine and then they took the MRI scan and then regenerated the image that they were thinking about in their brain. Mm-hmm. If you're able to take that and, and, and take an MRI of my nan's brain while she's telling me the story, and she's looking from when she was my age at her mum, mm. I'd be able to see what she saw her mum do. And I'd be able to learn so much more about my family. And this extends into a lot of other places where knowledge before books came from people older than you teaching you stuff that was all story based. If You're able to take the, te- if you're able to use AI to regenerate images that they're looking at in their mind, you could get an insane amount of learnings and just experiences that happened before you were born from the eyes of somebody older than you, like a parent or a grandparent. I think that's really beautiful. That's probably one of
1: the most beautiful things that I can think about AI helping us with. I think that that is the closest thing we have to time travel yeah i would say that probably yeah it's like okay you can watch back something you've experienced maybe you could even put in your brain something else someone else has experienced maybe you but can render it as well yeah but over time you can save those as a recording yeah so like if i record something i am experiencing like this right now into a digital form, and then I give it to my great, 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 great granddaughter. She's able to experience this in like completely immersive VR metaverse world. Yeah. But not only that, she's able to stay in this world for three weeks because there's enough data.
0: Yeah, it could be the case that you relay, but let's, let's take this as an example or, or another scenario. First time, whatever. So first time you rode a bike, or let's let's take this as an example, cause we're right here. And you're able to relay this to your granddaughter fifty years on, mm. and it's not just a video that comes out of your mind. It's a, it's the, it's a, a full three D render of this space. Of it this could also be the feeling. It could also be, it'd be the feeling,
1: but she'd be able to, maybe sit here. Yeah, but she might be able to, she might be able to experience like the same emotion yeah. that formed the wisdom.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Uh, or whatever. And I so mean, 50 years she could be sitting here and experiencing yeah, the same emotions On the, that on the podcast. Yeah. With uh, hello, AI insight. G- <laughs> G- GPT-905. Yeah. Million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's why it's probably really important now that we make some really, really good memories that we could
1: yeah. give to younger people to live I agree. through our eyes. I agree. That's a nice one to end on.
0: Yeah, crazy. Okay, this has been episode two of yeah. the something podcast we haven't decided a name yet if you do have any good names please let us know otherwise we will catch you in the next one i've been danny i've been hugh and uh see you soon